If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, what's the podcast? At Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. And our friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Civ Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined again by Civ Pop writer and editor, Robert. We're not talking about killing people. Herb's talking about killing me, and I'm talking about killing him. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this. Uh... We write for Sifpop.com. Uh, we also edit for Sifpop.com. Provide you movie reviews, best ever challenges, other interesting movie-related articles. Uh, lots of stuff going on on the website. We uh, have six up-and-running um, regular um, special articles outside of the best ever challenge each week um, with two more that are on the horizon. Um, so really lots of stuff going on at Sifpop.com. Make sure to check out the site to keep up with all that stuff. And on today's show, we're going to talk about a coming attraction. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on A Quiet Place 2, which is coming out next week not this week but uh, no no this week last week was Cruella and it was next week not this week this week is uh is still a quiet place um part two we'll get a chance to talk about that for a little bit and then we'll move on to uh potential goats um this says as our sift topic which is uh shadow of a doubt the 1943 hitchcock classic and cinema paradiso the 1988 italian Classic. Well, after that, we'll move on exploring uh, the B plot, answering a question, uh, the continuous uh, B plot, um, and we'll wrap up with a spinoff. Uh, by the way, I'm really excited for the B plot too because I, I'm not sure how I feel about mine, but <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but first, let's get a chance uh, to refamiliarize ourselves with Robert uh, a little bit this week. Robert, um, I got as a Christmas gift this movie trivia game. And I thought maybe what we could do, so I don't have to keep on coming up with questions each time, is I could just <laughs> randomly select a card and see if you can get the uh, the trivia question right. There's several genres, so you can narrow it down. Okay, uh, let's see. So let, let's do two. Sure. Cool. All right, randomly selecting a card. And uh, comedy, action, or comedy cartoon, action, adventure, uh, drama, musical, or horror sci-fi. So I get to choose? Choose the genre, and I'll give you the question. All right, what was the second one? Action, something? Action, adventure. Yeah, let's try that. We'll see. This is the easiest question in the world. Okay. Uh, who played Frank Martin in The Transporter? In The Transporter? Oh, is that... I've never seen The Transporter. Is that Jason Statham or Jason Mark Wahlberg? Statham. No, it's not Mark Wahlberg. It's Jason Statham. What did uh, Mark Wahlberg do that sounded like that? Uh, maybe, I mean, he did Contraband. Uh, maybe I'm just... Maybe? I don't know. Um, I, I haven't seen a lot of action movies like that. The The Transporter is kind of near and dear to my heart. They're They're really not good, but... Kind of like okay. All right. Uh, let's see. And uh, that was that one's too easy. Uh, comedy, cartoon, action, adventure, drama, musical, horror, sci-fi. Uh, let's go comedy cartoon this time. Who starred as Bob and Doug McKenzie in the '80s classic comedy *Strange Brew*? No idea. <laughs> Neither do I. Um, here, let me guess. '80s. '80s. Man, I don't even know who is comedic in look, the 80s. Look, to be honest, I haven't even heard of one of these people. <laughs> I don't know John if it's a Candy. 
and, and I don't know. And Bill Murray. <laughs> uh, it's Rick Moranis. Oh. And Dave Thomas. I don't know who Dave Thomas is. Right. So let's do, do one more. Let's do one more because that was really easy and really hard. Why don't you choose the one that you think that like I have a chance, but it maybe isn't easy. Just like. Um. So it's oh not gosh. bad <laughs> listening content. Oh, okay. Um, right. I'm going to modify this question a little bit. <laughs> um, we're going drama musical. In okay. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. what uh, image does McGlumfrey see on television that leads to a ru- major ruckus? What image? Mm-hmm. On television. When they were watching the World Series? It is a baseball game, yes. The question yeah. is, what game does McGlumfrey's, uh, McMurphy, sorry, not McMurphy's uh, image on on television leads to a major ruckus? And I was like, well, I, I figure I can make it a little more tough. So. Yeah. Because that's a pretty big part to the movie, so. Right, they were watching, like, the Dodgers World Series, I think. Yeah. Dude, the, all right, let me just read the rest of the questions to you on this card, because it's so all easy. Right. Um, who plays golf stud in Caddyshack? Bill Murray, Ted Knight, or Chevy Chase? Uh, Tiger Woods. <laughs> Uh, and Ron Howard's rush, uh, or is Ron Howard's rush about race car drivers, drug, drug addicts, or linebackers? <laughs> and what is the name of E.T.'s 10-year-old friend in E.T.? Oh, I Benji, don't know. Elliot, or Rudy? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to modify these, and maybe, maybe I don't let you pick the genre anymore, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> maybe I still just pick a random card and pick a random one from each. Especially card. with the multiple choice, it's a little too easy. Right, right. Because especially like the the Caddyshack one, like golf stud, like at least those three are in the movie. But mm-hmm. like, if you know anything about Bill Bill Murray's character, you... anyway. <laughs> um. So uh, and I have and one were good options for Rush too. Yeah, they were like, they were good options, but that's also like a pretty Not recent, bad. pretty big movie. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, all right, uh, and then I have one more non-movie related question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a sound that you love? Oh, uh, a sound that I love. Yeah. Um. So you, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> Are you deaf? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be bad to podcast with a deaf person. <laughs> No, I see the way that they, that came across, but no, is that I'm very sensitive to sounds. So like the opposite of oh, deaf is like interesting. little like tapping, whatever it is, typing, people just doing whatever, making noises. It drives me insane. I prefer total silence. <laughs> um, so like fidget spinners are the worst. Yeah, any anything that like interrupts, just like. Uh, the 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 room tone, for lack of a better term, uh, is what is what annoys me. Well, so so, maybe, so silence, maybe a, right? A sound I could say like the sound of a baseball hitting a baseball bat, or okay. like being at a baseball game. But it's all baseball. To be yeah, there, there's something satisfying about hearing the wood crack against the ball, especially like if you're at the game. Yeah, I was I was at a Red Sox game on Mother's Day actually. Nice, and they hit one home run that was like perfect contact and it was like the loudest sound i heard at the stadium all day so yeah the sound of a baseball bat go with that one 
Was the Red Sox doing good this year? Yeah, they're in first place. Oh, nice. I just I don't don't follow with baseball too much, uh, and my White Sox are doing good, so that's that's fine. So they are. Um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and if you want to hear Robert rant about um, baseball, um, go to his Twitter recently <laughs> and with the whole swinging on a three zero pitch and getting a three run home run and the manager being upset with a player is just the I was ranting thing. against your team. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you you were ranting for my team against my manager. You're like that's True, stupid. Right. <laughs> My man, our manager is dumb and yep, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, the sound I really love is uh, I play a lot of video games. Um, and when I do play video games, um, I really like uh, when uh, when you get an achievement since I play Xbox, if it's PlayStation's trophies. Um, but it's just uh, the game gives you a task list of things to do. And if you really want to like explore outside of the game, and you know, you get achievements for like beat this story part or like do this amount of things, but a lot of times like beat this side mission, it really encourages you, especially in like open world to like, Hey, we designed this world with all these little intricacies. We want you to play with all the little intricacies. And so um, it's just a satisfying noise whenever the achievement pops and on the Xbox one, they've even changed it to where now there's regular achievement pops, which are your pretty much standard play this mission. And then there are rare achievement pops, which has a different sound to it, which is like, hey, most people don't take the time to do this. Yeah, like you're in the like the three percent that did and that have played this game. So it's just a satisfying sound because you know you've accomplished something. Nice. So it's uh that's a that's a soft spot in my heart. Is it the little kind of thing? <laughs> um that's not the, what I thought that was gonna sound like when I was I think I think I know what you're going for, and yes, um, it's it's also the sound for like really when anything happens, like um, you know, like the game is finished installing, or a friend mm-hmm. invites you to a game or whatever. But um, but the rare achievement is a different sound, so it's nice. it's satisfying because I probably get achievements more than I get invites from friends on Xbox. <laughs> um, oh, that's sad. Well, I play a lot of single player games and. If I, and I'm typically the one to send invites as opposed to receive them. But uh, we'll move on to the coming attraction on that note of me being lonely, you know. <laughs> Stuck a lot of Quiet Place Part 2 coming up. Uh, this coming out this week. This is a theatrical exclusive. Uh, man, it feels good to say that again. Um, and may, uh, man, just watching cinema parodies of this week was just so cathartic because of like seeing a full theater, which mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about more. Uh, yes. But what a what a perfectly timed, you know, um, <clears throat> sequel to the 2016, I believe, film uh, following the event, maybe 17, I think 17. I think it's 17. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand path. Uh, directed by John Krasinski again, written by John Krasinski, Scott Beck, and Brian Woods, starring... Um, Several of the uh, returning cast, as well as uh, Jaimon Honsu, is a and Cillian Murphy being two big uh, newcomers to this. Um, and Scoot McNary, the man with the best name in Hollywood. Scoot McNary. Yeah. Who's that? Uh, oh. In... Um, gosh, what is this guy in? He's in Argo. That's yeah, what he is. He's in Argo. He's in Frank. Twelve Years a Slave. Narcos Mexico, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is like, it's one of those like you see his you see his the face Brad Pitt killer movie. Why can't I think of that? Killing them softly. Got it. 
It looks like he's also in a couple episodes of Fargo, so of the first season. And yeah. oh yeah, and he's that guy in Batman versus Superman that takes, takes oh yeah, takes the bomb to the courthouse. Yes. So, anyway, uh, yeah, he's one of those guys that like you just love to see. But, he pops up a lot, and yeah, yeah, and he's usually really good. So, um, however, before we do the anticipation level, uh, actually, no, let's do the anticipation level and let's back up. Um, uh, same same scale as always. Uh, if you're looking at, um. How, how if you're looking at like when we might see this? Uh, do you think you'd catch it opening weekend? Wait for a discount night. Wait to rent it at home. Wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for. Or are you just not interested in seeing this movie? Well, this is one of those situations that you were just talking about where it's nice because I can say I am going to see this opening weekend. Woohoo! Um, so yeah, here's my answer. Yeah, me too. And uh, before we dive into that much, um, what's your experience like with the first one? Did you see it in a the theater? Did you catch it later? What are your like? What are your very brief thoughts on it? Yeah, uh, so that we're not caught uh, disseminating false information. I, I checked it's 2018 that the original wow. came out. So we're both wrong. And I was yeah, wrong we were twice. both wrong. Um, but yeah, I saw it when it came out. I think I saw that opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked it. It was good. And then I think I saw it again one more time because at my college, I was in college at the time, uh, they, ha- they played like second run movies at... Uh, our college theater. So I saw it there, and that was the last time I've seen it. Um, it's it's good. It's fun. It's fine. I don't think it's great because I hate being like this every week or every month when I'm on here. But like talking about something I don't like in a coming attraction. But I'm not a big Krasinski fan. Oh, um, I, that's and, not where I expected that to go. Yeah, I uh, I don't like his acting in this movie at all. And okay. I'm not excited to see. I thought he was dead. I'm not excited to see more of him in the new one. Um, I, th- I don't think he's supposed to be in much of it. Okay, that that's what would well, give me but, a little bit of hope. Because obviously he can't be in much of it. <laughs> right. So, um, but yeah, he's the only thing that kind of detracts from it for me because Emily Blunt and the kids are really good and the tension's really good. Um, so yeah, overall, I like it, but I feel like Krasinski is a big glaring issue for me. See, I don't have that experience. Um, I like Krasinski. Uh, Krasinski. I think he, um, as much as I don't like The Office, it's hard not to love the character of Jim, even though I, love love is a different word because like, he's such a total D-bag he's in that a show. He's a terrible person. He's a terrible person. But like, if anybody besides Krasinski is playing him, um, then I feel like he comes off completely as a jerk, not a lovable jerk. Um, sure. So... Um, Anyway, I, I prefer I, Martin Freeman in the British version. I mean, that is definitely fun to watch. I'm a big fan of of him in that. Um, and it's uh, I I don't agree with the act with him being a bad performer in this movie. Um, I think I think he's doing a fine job. He's not the standout of this movie. The standouts being uh, the the deaf child and uh, Emily Blunt uh, mm-hmm. being just terrific. Um, and uh, and but he also kind of impressed me directing this um, because yeah. it was a really well directed movie and this was his start um, and this is also his first like writing credit so at least like primary writing credit so um, really really impressed me on the back end of things uh, I'm honestly I think I'm more interested in seeing what he does as a writer director than an actor in the future so um, but sure yeah it, I take that it also is just like it's it's hard to shed the character of Jim. Um, from you know, such an iconic character for a performance, right. for a performer, like 
got to work out of that. So, um, anyway, I, I don't have that same experience, but this is, this is my kind of horror movie because I don't consider this a horror movie. I consider this thriller, um, that definitely has horror elements. And so while I don't, I don't like horror movies at all. Um, this is, uh, this is one that I, this is like, this is my kind of, you get in and you white knuckle. And I so remember my, my experience because I'm opening weekend for this as well. Um, because I remember going, I'm pretty sure I saw this opening weekend as well. The first one. And like, I've never had a theater experience like it. Like I was afraid to reach for my popcorn because mm-hmm. it was just dead silent and a completely packed theater. And man, it was just in- insane. Except there was one high school kid in the front row that is scrolling Instagram and doesn't have his brightness turned down. And it's just like, I look, I, I'm a pretty patient guy, but like, if you're in a movie theater, like if you're going to do that, sit in the back or don't go like, yeah. don't ruin my experience, especially, especially something like this. And I, but then if I am the one shouting, then I'm ruining everybody else's experience. Although I would hope that people would, you know, cheer and be like, thank you. Thank you for saying what we're all saying. I don't know. I guess, it's hard living in the Midwest when everybody's so pa- passive aggressive. <laughs> Nobody wants to say anything, but everybody wants to say something. I, man, can we use this as a quick aside to talk about how <laughs> much of a love hate relationship I actually have with theaters because I love watching a movie on the big screen with the surround sound and all that. But people are terrible. I hate people in theaters. Yeah. Like in 2019. Yeah, that's right. 2019, like the last year I, I went to like a million movies. I kept a, a note on my phone. I added to it. It felt like every single time I went to the movies of like different things that people did to bug me. The worst was watching How to Train Your Dragon 3. There was a little girl crawling around her seat, talking out loud to her dad, touching my shoulder. <laughs> I glared at this dad so many times and he just said, sit down, sit down. And she didn't sit down. Anyway, uh place two. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a fine place to talk about this. Yeah, but I think there is sometimes you get a good experience. I'll start off with my other really bad experience in a theater. Um, luckily, it was my third viewing of Avengers Endgame. But um, th- but I went on a discount night. And man, I tell you, I I might say discount night on this, but I will never go to a discount night again. Because I saw Avengers Endgame on a discount night for the third viewing uh, with a couple of people. And most of us had already seen it before. But there's some guy in the front row that again, like didn't have his brightness down was sometimes doing things. And he would record key moments on his screen with the flash on. And so it would ruin the image quality. It would be distracting for everybody. Everybody in the theater was like, what the hell is this guy doing? And like, I, if I legitimately like I thought about, and in hindsight, I wish I would have got up and gotten a manager because a, that's illegal. And B you're ruining yeah. my experience. Like you're not, al- I don't know if you know this, but you're not allowed to, take a picture, a video, audio, anything from a movie in a theater. That's called piracy and it's illegal in the States. So, mm-hmm. um, and you're, and you're also just being a jerk. And then like the next week I saw John wick chapter three in, uh, in theaters. And there was like four or five, like middle-aged white guys behind me that were just having a blast, which was kind of fun, but not on my first viewing. <laughs> mm. So it's one thing if people are like laughing and enjoying it, but another, if they're like, my last story I'll tell is when I saw Knives Out, it was, again, a packed theater on opening night. And I don't remember what part of the movie was, but I think it was, like, after you find out all the stuff Marta did and, like, mm-hmm. resulting in Harlan killing himself. 
spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Knives Out. And there was an old couple sitting behind us. I'm pretty sure the man fell asleep during a section because all of a sudden I heard the wife explaining everything that had just happened to the guy very loudly. And it was driving me nuts because, again, because it was like a quiet part of the movie. Yeah. And my passive aggressive stare actually worked this time because I turned around, gave them a look, and then they stopped talking. So I was very happy about it. Look, my knives out experience was worse because I, so I, I went to an early screening, um, like one of those, like, hey, it's coming out two weeks. It's, it's open access, but mm-hmm. two weeks before it's actually supposed to come out. That might have been what mine was, actually. But anyway, go ahead. Well, but I was traveling back from seeing my wife's family. And we were running a little bit behind. So we showed up to the theater about 15 minutes after the movie's supposed to start, which like typically the movie's about to start right then. But on those yeah. early ones, they typically don't show trailers. And so we were already walking in and they were questioning Tony Collette. And so like we missed like two or three of the interviews and uh, and some of the setup, which isn't the worst thing. But, um, you know, you could still kind of piece, put together the pieces, but it wasn't quite as complete a movie. Um showing up late and that's and that's entirely by fault but it was a relatively small theater and every seat was taken but i like had my ticket stub i'm like no i'm supposed to be here right now in this seat so i'm like hey you're you're in my seats and the people gave me a look like like i was the jerk and it's like you're in my seat that i paid for like show me your ticket like maybe because i bought them on fandango maybe there was some sort of error but like what the crap so anyway uh that was Robert and Aaron in We Love Movie Theaters. <laughs> but we hate people. People. Yeah, there's definitely several experiences. But at the same time, like I think there are sometimes you get fun experiences. Like when Frank and Alex were up for Sposkers, we had a good good time exchanging stories and they're you know, they're stories to tell, but um Frank I can't remember Alex's um but I remember it being really funny, just some guy yelling at one of the, like one of the Star Wars movie uh movies gosh i don't want to mess it up <laughs> but he said like that crap's dope <laughs> like <laughs> like just screamed it like, i think it was at the with the hold on maneuver in last jedi oh I, I could be wrong i'll have alex tell the story next time he's on the show but uh but frank said when he went to see peter jackson's king kong theater about 10 minutes into the movie some guy stood up and just where the f is kong and walked out and didn't come back like he was so mad that king kong hadn't shown up yet in in this three-hour epic that king kong wasn't around in the first 15 minutes of a peter jackson movie it's like he's never seen a movie before <laughs> so anyway like like i said there are there stories to tell i know i know i got the the king kong one right but i i can't remember i'll have to have alex retell the the story on the podcast um, next yeah. time he's on. But look, I don't, I don't know how much more there is to say. It's if you had a good experience with the first movie, we're probably going to be in for it. There's, n- there's no red flags for me about this one. Um, it's they're not expanding too much of the cast, um, and you know they're not like going like, hey, we're going to go from what was this small group to now, you know, something like The Walking Dead. When, when, when in season one it was this small yeah. group, and then you know you eventually get to what a large group in a community they get to, like there's nothing like this you're just adding a couple people um and you're, we're falling into the trope of uh, this is what zombie movies do too where like sure zombies are the primary threat but humans are just as much of a threat so yeah um i i, I don't i just i i, I don't know that I, I could see a zombie movie like that doesn't do that because i'm like oh that's not realistic you know 
because I would have the same thoughts I had at the end of Wonder Woman 1984. Like, hold on. People are terrible. This wouldn't happen. Mm. You know, you're telling me everybody re- renounces their wish, but, um, and, but anyway, I would also just be like, hold on. These humans aren't trying to like fight each other and kill each other for trying to stay alive. Like I don't, there's, there's no winning at this point. So, um, unless you tell a small contained story, like the first quiet place where the only humans are the family. Right. So, um, and the old couple that dies in the woods. <laughs> That's right. The guy just that just screams. The guy that just yells. Um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. I don't. I didn't really think it was something that needed a sequel, but the sequel's coming out, and it looks good enough. I don't. You know, when I watch a trailer of something once, then I'm kind of like, all right, I'll watch it, or okay, I won't. Um, and especially something like this, where I saw the original and I know the cast is there. I'm like, I haven't really seen the trailer much, um, sure. but I like Killian Murphy. And it'd be cool to see him surviving again after 28 Days Later, which may or may not be a zombie movie. Um, <laughs> Depends on if you ask Danny Boyle or literally anybody else. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited to see it, but I will be looking forward to Cruella more. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I think I'm probably more excited for this one than I am Cruella, but it's it's because, I mean, Cruella is a, it's a prequel, but like this is, you know, this is also a new story there's not necessarily like expanding on a previous world or like you know it, I, th- I feel like it's setting up for a new for a new world um so I, I feel like it's just i had a great experience and i'm probably looking forward to this one a little more um and the, yeah the last thing i wanted to say is you're right this this wasn't a movie I, I think i needed a sequel to or even wanted one necessarily um and i tweeted that yesterday because um the LA times released an article like why Emily Blunt and John Krasinski all like almost didn't come back for a quiet place too. It's like, because they mm. didn't need to, because this movie didn't need to exist because it was a perfect contained story with a perfect ending. And you know, like not every movie needs a sequel. Not every movie needs the Marvel treatment. Not every movie needs to be a huge IP. Like, you know, some movies inception is better for just being inception. Right. Yeah. Shawshank then, Redemption is better for just being the Shawshank Redemption. I want to see Andy and Red playing chess. That's my movie. <laughs> no, but Paramount took a dump truck of money, I'm sure, and backed it yeah. up to John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's house and said, please make another one. And they yeah. said, I guess we don't have a choice. That's that's um, exactly what happened. And Yeah, I'm sure but, I'm sure it's going to look good on their resumes. So. Yeah. The not last that, thing not I that they need more, more good on their resumes. That's true. Emily Blunt is a better one. Um, last thing I want to say you reminded me is this movie better show us what exactly happened at the ending of the first one, because mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I remember thinking there's no way they survive with just like one shotgun and the monster things coming at them. And that's kind of why I thought it was perfect ending. Cause I, I remember I said, there's no way they survived. And the people I saw with were like, what are you talking about? They're going to shoot them and they're going to be fine and they're going to do whatever. So, like, it's I, I mean, love the ambiguous ending, and now, you know. I mean, it's really weird, like, that, yes, it is an ambiguous ending, and that's why I think that the first ending is so perfect, because you can walk away going, like, all right, like, I feel like the movie makes me think, like, yeah, they could do it, but, like, they're not going to do it. Um, it right. Would, you know, one shotgun, you know, is, is, not, is not enough, because how many shells do they actually have? Presumably not many, because they're trying to stay quiet. 
um, for for all the movie leading up to it. But but at the same time, you're like, oh well, now that they figured out how to kill them, you know, now it should be easier. And so that's even one of those like, look, now you figured out how to kill these things that used to be invulnerable. Like, how do you? How do you, this is going to be full of plot holes? Could be like, why couldn't you just kill them there? Yeah. Um, like, or it's going to be one of those things to, that that you just think of. Um, to me, um, you know, you think of every James Bond movie where it's like, why didn't they just kill Bond any of the four times that they had him restrained before? Because then like, there wouldn't be a movie, right? Exactly. And so, same thing with with what's going to be, I, I think, happening here. And man, I almost wish the sequel was literally just them hunkering down and and just make it a small contained just more character stuff one one room you know fighting off waves of these things and yeah i'd be here for that <laughs> yeah so totally different than fact. what the franchise has been doing but yeah my last fun fact is that the movie and like the house was filmed about 10 minutes from where i grew up so that's fun I, nice. i've seen the actual house and the sand trail and everything nice yeah that's a that is a fun fact yeah so well, uh, let's let's move on to the sip topic. Then we'll talk about our goats. Uh, this uh, our potential goats. This um, our potential goats. Yeah, right. Because because uh, I don't know how you feel about these movies. Um, uh, which one do you want to start off? Cinema Paradiso or Shadow of a Doubt? Let's go with Shadow of a Doubt. All right, it's first in my notes. That's always how nice. I decide. This is a 1942 movie. Um, it's not currently streaming anywhere. You can buy it places, but it's not like on Prime or on HBO or anything like that on Peacock. Um, so you can buy it or rent it, um, but it's not available to stream anywhere for free. Currently, uh, synopsis is a young girl overjoyed when her favorite uncle comes to visit a family slowly begins to suspect that he is, in fact, the Merry Widow Killer sought by the authorities. A little bit of history of why we, uh, we picked this movie. Uh, is that it has a 7.8 on IMDb and 94 on Metacritic, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. This was nominated for Best Writing Original Story at the Oscars. Um, This was inducted into the National Film Registry in 1991. Uh, Many note this as Hitchcock's first masterpiece. Um, This is kind of the first one where he actually is, oh yeah, this guy's Hitchcock. Um, And also, many consider it to be his best film. Um, Hitchcock considers uh, himself considers this to be his favorite film and Teresa Wright considers this to be her favorite film that she's been in as well um, this was adapted for radio theater in 1944 with um, the original lead actress and the original intended Uncle Charlie which was William Powell but because studios in that day used to be studios owned actors not actors were contract for whatever film they couldn't get William Powell so uh, MGM wouldn't loan him to him uh, and there were several more radio adaptations between 1946 and 1950. There was a film remade in 1958 as Step Down to Terror and a 1991 TV movie starring Mark Harmon. So, Mark Harmon. <laughs> it has like a 5.8 on IMDb. Nice. It sounds about right. And this was the inspiration for Park Chan-wook's Stoker in 2013. So um, I have no history with this movie other than knowing it's an early Hitchcock. And that's enough for me to say I'm excited. Um, yeah. Or Hitchcock in general. That's enough for me to say I'm excited. You you had seen this one before, right? Uh, yeah, I did. I saw it on March 26, 2019. The way I know that is because that was like very shortly after I first started listening to the Sif Pop podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And I gathered that Aaron Dicer was a big, big old fan of Hitchcock from that. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to... Uh, 
yeah, I wanted to see some more older movies, wanted to watch some Hitchcock. So I tweeted at Aaron Dicer, I've seen Psycho and Strangers on a Train. What should my next Hitchcock movie be? And he very graciously and kindly replied, try Shadow of a Doubt. Um, I'd never heard of it, but the guy whose podcast I liked replied to me and told me what uh, what to listen or what, what to watch. So I turned it on. And that's, that's how I first saw Shadow of a Doubt. Interesting. And yeah, now I work for him. Psycho and It's Strangers on the Chain. Man, I, I might have gone for M, Dial M for Murder, but um, just because I feel like they kind of bring some similar... Man, I don't know. What an interesting to recommend this one, but maybe maybe it was because... I think because, it's one of his favorites. I, I think it is for sure. Uh, I think it's in his Fate 41. I think it's like 40. Hmm. Um, but I, you know, I feel like doing... Um, um, Maybe it's because Psycho is a little bit more of a slow burn than people actually think it is, and Strangers on a Train is, in a lot of ways, a, a slow burn that's really intense. I feel, in a lot of ways, this one's a slow burn, so maybe the mm-hmm. Dial in for Murder is is just, you know, snap, 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 snap. So, I don't know. Maybe that's why he picked it. We can... Uh, I doubt he even remembers that Twitter conversation. I'm sure he doesn't, so, yeah. Um, but that would be interesting to hear his... Uh, it's why why did you do that why do you recommend that one um so uh we've, we've gone through the history we've gone through our history robert do you like it love it hate it dislike it or think it's just okay uh i think the first time i watched it i would have gone high side of like it uh now i'm just gonna go like it okay that's interesting i'm also gonna go with like it i'm probably like i'm just right in the middle yeah i'm i can't uh, i'm 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 perplexed um by, by my <laughs> thoughts on this movie is maybe maybe a good way to say it um, all, right, why is that? all right i to me i don't see how this feels like a hitchcock movie um because it's all about death and murder <laughs> sure uh and it's a thriller back in the days and he was the ones that were doing it <laughs> um yeah I, I i to me this doesn't feel like the last 40 minutes of this movie feel Hitchcock. The mm-hmm. first hour don't. Um, and, or it doesn't. <laughs> the first hour doesn't. And uh, it, it, it's, it just feels like a totally different movie. Um, it feels like there's a lot of different directions. I feel like I wish this movie went that it just didn't. And that's fine that that's not the movie Hitchcock wanted to make. Uh, and that's fine that that's not the movie that we got. Um, it's just to me, the better version of this movie is different. Um, for for instance, I think this movie's biggest flaw is the fact that um, the opening scene exists. If I was editing this movie or the director, I would take out the opening scene because based off of his reaction to there's two people asking about you and him you know, dodging them, we know oh, he's guilty. Yeah. Like, there's no mystery at all. Now, we don't know what he's guilty of, Unless you read the synopsis. Um, but you know he's guilty of something. But which... you know he's guilty. So there's not any of that amb- ambiguity. Or, you know, whereas even if we get the newspaper scene, like, okay, he's guilty of something, but, wh- uh, but what? And But I, but you could even say, well, like, people are sub- suspecting me, but I didn't do it. And so I'm just trying to take away any clue. It, it's guilty as crap, but when you put people in a tenseful situation, they do things that look really suspicious. So No, you're right. Um, you you could easily play it off more, or or when the reveal comes that he is this person, um, it's it's a little bit more of a surprise, and I feel like that's the better movie. Um, so, 
I mean, after all, right, this movie is called Shadow of a Doubt. There is no doubt in this movie. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I, I hadn't thought of that at all. Like, I hadn't thought of the possibility of, or like, I hadn't thought about that scenario where you already know and it takes away the tension. But Hitchcock is the master of tension, <laughs> and there's a way to make it even more tense. And I, I actually completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I think that would have been better. Um, I don't. I really don't remember my mindset the first time I watched it, but this time, obviously, I knew anyway because I'd seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I maybe I just wasn't thinking of it in that sense. But I'm I'm glad you brought that up. It's a good point. I I, I tried to avoid everything I could about this because I think that's the best way to watch a Hitchcock movie or thriller mm-hmm. in general too, uh, especially yeah. one that's called Shadow of a Doubt. Like, I yo, I know very little about Doubt, the movie Doubt, but I know when mm-hmm. I see it, like, that's gonna pay off. Um, so with, with a movie called shadow of a doubt, um, you know, I want to, to be in that shadow of a doubt. Like, look, I'm wrestling with, do I think this person is guilty or not based off the first scene? And obviously the title shadow of a doubt. I know this guy's guilty. There is no doubt. It's just, what is he guilty of and how, how is, how is this all going to unfold? And so, um, I don't, and then, and then, not only that, but to go from that to like thirty minutes of just small town setup feels like an episode of my wife's been watching uh, Gilmore Girls again. It just kind of feels like an episode of Gilmore Girls, like yo, know, but old school and you know done better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, not that there's any. I actually kind of like watching Gilmore Girls when my wife is watching. So I've never seen an episode of Gilmore Girls. Um... <laughs> I, I still have, I'm still part of the Netflix account with my parents and my brothers. Mm-hmm. And one night I went to watch Netflix, but I couldn't because it was being used on two different screens by each of my parents who live in the same house. And they're each watching different episodes of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I love it. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, like I just figured that's just the thing that came to my head because small town. No, yeah, but relationships. So you're right. I, I that was one of my bigger points too. Not a Gilmore Girls reference, but the fact <laughs> that like the beginning, like Hitchcock. Every time I see, or most times I see a Hitchcock movie, I think about like I feel like if he were just getting started today, like if someone with that mind and a proclivity for film. Mm-hmm. was getting started today he would be much like david fincher or something like that sure um and his movies are only kind of sanitized because they're from the 30s 40s 50s no that sort of thing yeah um and they but they still tend to feel different than like a typical jimmy stewart or Cary grant movie or something like that mm-hmm. um but this one that's my roundabout way of saying this one in for the first chunk felt like just a old timey movie from the forties that wasn't yeah. necessarily Hitchcock. It was just like the little girl answering the phone and proving that she's smarter than everyone. She's so cute. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, um, 80 years later, we've come to expect something when we watch an older Hitchcock movie. Yeah. It was, it was just, I feel like, um, I, I, I was actually very heavily reminded of uh, of East of Eden for the first like forty minutes of this movie. Yeah, because um, again, same thing. And East of Eden is a small town relational drama, and that's that's what it is. Um, whereas this one is, 
<laughs> it's it's funny. Um, one of the reasons Hitchcock said this is his favorite movie is that he he always wanted to take something, uh, take a big killer and put him in a small, small town. And this town isn't small. <laughs> like they're, they're like they're walking down and the the crossing guard knows everybody, but it's like. There, there's still a lot there's of foot a lot traffic. Of people. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is like a you know mid size like a this isn't like a New York City, but this is still a good sized city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what town? I, something something California, like Santa Rosa know. or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's like you know what if you take what if you take the same thing and you put it in actually like a really you know tight knit community you know like a real like an Iowa town right like a, I was gonna say like something middle America because when I hear Santa blank yeah. California I expect yeah. like something very specific and you know sure. small town isn't it yeah up, upper class mid-sized town mid-sized town yes. right um so yeah i, I don't i don't it, to me it just felt like a, a real clash um a lot of a lot of what this it feels like hitchcock wanted to do what he wanted to do but then he just got it got so excited about doing his small town stuff that he just lingered there for way too long and yeah. spent 30 minutes what he probably could have achieved in five. Um, Maybe and, not quite uh, five, but I, I take your point. Yeah. Well, so you take off the whole first five minutes and then, yeah, so maybe not quite five, maybe 10, but so <laughs> here's, here's, here's another issue I have with, with all this. The young boy is totally useless in this movie. Like, cause they, they make a point of setting him up in the first, uh, this first scene with the telephone and then, like, he's never mentioned again or rarely even seen. So it's like, so why not just make it to the two girls? Like, That's an interesting point. And, and uh, they spend a, a, a decent amount setting up this little boy. And it's like, there's no payoff for that. Hmm. You know, it's not like maybe if he were to hold the little boy hostage for, you know, the the older, the older, younger Charlies. Um, yeah, you know, Charlie. also how traumatized is Charlie now knowing that she's named, named after, after this guy? <laughs> Um, yeah, so the last, the last 40 minutes I felt were, were exactly what I expect from a Hitchcock film. Once the scene where she pulls the newspaper out of the trash and then goes to the library, like that to the end, like, yes, this feels Hitchcock. This is great. I'm captivated. I love this. But that first hour that it takes to get there, um, just had no suspense for me at all because it was, I know he's guilty, but what's he guilty of? Mm. And, and you know, with the ring, like, you know, all right, that's going to play a big part in it. So you know, there's something involving theft. So. I do like movies where rings play a big part. Um, <laughs> there's your weekly Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I only had a couple other notes, but they both kind of play into a similar thing, uh, like a larger talking point. Um, uh, well, I mean, to me, I only have one other note. Um, so yeah. it's just, I think the performances are great. So sure. So we've, I feel like we've kind of talked a lot about how it's not that good, but we, but we both said that we liked it. Yeah. Um, so I've mentioned before, I took a couple film classes in college, so obviously I'm smart. Um, <laughs> so you're better but, than me. Yeah, obviously. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, the, one of the film classes, I think it was just intro to film. They, the professor was trying to give a good example of like how editing can build tension and uh, I had never, I didn't put it together until I was watching Shadow of a Doubt for the first time. But she showed us a scene from Shadow of a Doubt. Um, and that's the scene where niece Charlie was walking to the library 
racing against the clock, trying to get in with the librarian saying, no, we're closed. Um, so that, that part is always kind of, that always, that always stands out to me now when I watch Shadow of a Doubt, both times mm. that I've seen it. Um, because I was explained to why it's so good. And I agree that it's definitely really good. Um, it's yeah. one thing to see like a, it's one thing to see a scene taken out of context in a class or like in a video, like a video essay on YouTube or something like that. But it's another sure. to be part of the movie, like be watching the movie and then understand it in its context and be like, man, this actually is building a lot of tension right now. Um, so there's there's Hitchcock doing his real, you know, the thing that he's known for right there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's, again, that's the start of what I say. This movie is near flawless for the last 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that to me, that's that's the start. And so, yeah, I, I recognize, you know, the editing and the suspense building. And you're like, man, I've never so suspense, been so suspenseful to see somebody go to a library. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And then the other part I just wanted to tie into that a little bit was how at least the movies that I've seen from Hitchcock, because I haven't seen too many. I think I've seen his biggest ones. Uh, anyway, the ones that I've seen, he tends to make a lot of stuff about death or about killers. Um, mm-hmm. But they're always, I hesitate to use this term, but because of the other implications of it, but they're always pro-life. Um, like Uncle Charlie thinks that the old women that he steals from and kills, they don't deserve their life because they're old and they're just sitting around. What good are they to society? Well, and that's the whole point of rope, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that That's what I was, that was a big one I was thinking of is that like Hitchcock makes movies about these people, but he doesn't agree with them. Um, yeah. He agrees with the James Stewart character in rope. He agrees with uh, niece Charlie here in, in shadow of a doubt. Um, and I always appreciate that because movies are a lot about violence, death, killing, you know, that sort of thing. So, and I appreciate when it's not just for the sake of it for, you know, like action movie explosions for the sake of explosions. It's like meaningful murderer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I always appreciate that when Hitchcock does it well. And I think he does do it well in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good point to bring up. Um, and, but, but to me, and this is maybe, so this is the other thing I want, I, I forgot to bring up cause mm-hmm. I forgot to write it down. Uh, my favorite part of this movie is the father and his friend, I think Herb mm-hmm. talking about all the ways that they could kill each other. And that's, that's all they do. The whole movie is like, I could kill you this way. Like, did you, did you notice I slipped a little, a little soda in your drink, in your coffee this morning? Well, that's the exact amount of poison I would need. It's like, I got it. Mushrooms. Like, and they're like, right. no, you wouldn't do mushrooms. Cause you'd take, you know, because you could potentially kill more people and like, nah, just easy. Pull your, pull your feet out of the bathtub and hold you under. <laughs> like, like that's, that's all their conversations are. And I thought that was delightful, but like you, you never believe that either of these people are actually going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like Hitchhart kind of plays with that. Oh, I can't, I kind of want to see the comedy version of this that, yeah. you know, kind of like an arsenic and old lace. I was about to bring that <laughs> up. Yeah. Charge. <laughs> I, 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 it's just, I, I, I see how people can say this is Hitchcock's first masterpiece because I, I, I don't know if I've seen, I'd have to look at, uh, at his, um, filmography before this, but I, I don't, I think all the ones I've seen are after this and sure it takes the director a couple films to really get, um, well, in most cases to really get to that masterpiece level. So, 
Um, I could see how people could say this is his first, but um, there are some that still say it's his best. And if if they are saying it's his best, it, it just has to be for the simple reason that it's uh, um, maybe their first exposure and it hit them in a different way. Sure. Um, I'm looking at his filmography right now. Yeah, me and, too. Um, let's see. Rebecca. I know the, well, the Lady Vanishes comes out before that. Rebecca, I haven't seen either of those, but those are still pretty highly regarded. Um, let's have see. a tour. Then, then, then comes Shadow of a Doubt. So, so it's it's his earliest I've seen. So I could see how somebody say this is first masterpiece, but again, Rebecca and Lady Vanishes are also both considered among his best. So, um, I don't. I, I guess I I don't hold to that. <laughs> uh, Rope is still my favorite Hitchcock movie. Uh, by by quite a lot, so, um, but but again, you know, we we both said we like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's certainly a lot to like. Um, I just feel like it's kind of two separate movies because again, he wants to live a little bit too much into that, um, that small town lifestyle, and compare that to the, the 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 killer. It almost seems like a side plot in this movie. So fair enough. Um. Yeah, I think I think I'm like I, I'm definitely recommending seeing it. Um, I oh, I think yeah. I think for sure that I uh, um, I think it's a a good movie. It's just maybe it's just too much expectations from oh this is a Hitchcock movie, but in 1943 that really wouldn't have meant anything. Um, so I, I I don't know. Like I'm recommending it. I'm just not. It's 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 not an all timer for me. Uh, I think it, like I said, I think it's forty on Dicer's list, and this wouldn't crack my top two hundred probably. Yeah, I'm probably right there with you. Um, I still have it rated four and a half on Letterbox, but I think I'm gonna adjust it to maybe like three and a half or four. I'm at um, a four. Yeah. yeah, I like you said. I like it. I would recommend it for someone looking for a classic thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not a goat. Uh, yeah, I mean. This is this is kind of one of those again, kind of respectable. Not a goat for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm just not adding it to. It, I'm going to add. Yo, know, we're not adding the birds either. <laughs> At least I'm not. Because uh, we, we talked about that one already. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're for sure adding rope. Yeah, and whatever other ones we we might get around to talking at some point. But I, I feel like there's a lot I would add from his filmography. But um, this this just wouldn't be one of them. Um, respectable, no. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, uh, I think I'm all out of thoughts. I, Me too. I, totally. I, my, I have no more thoughts about anything. <laughs> I could see myself giving this a rewatch, uh, or like would be interested. I, I, I'm again, I'm not for always remaking something, but if they wanted to, I mean, I know this has really been a spiritual. You know, there have been spiritual remakes. Um, but if someone if someone were to remake this, I would say just lean more into the actually actual doubt and also give it a new title. So people didn't know. (laughs) Um, So people didn't know, Oh, I've seen that movie or I can look up the synopsis or anyway. Uh, Yeah. Not, not a, not a goat, but, but a a good movie. So just not great. All right. Cinema Paradiso. Let's do this. This is uh, streaming on HBO max, by the way, right now. It's an, uh, and the director's cut also streaming on HBO Max. You just have to go into extras in Cinema Paradiso. 
Uh, the theatrical cut is about two hours and five minutes. The theatrical, the director's is about three hours. Uh, it's a 1988 Italian film. Uh, synopsis of the movie is a filmmaker recalls his childhood when falling in love with the pictures at the cinema of his home village and forms a deep friendship with the cinema's projectionist. Uh, a little bit about this movie. This has an 8.5 on IMDb, making it the 51, 51st highest rated movie of all time. This is an 80 on Metacritic and a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. This won the best foreign language film Oscar um, in the the year that it was presented. And uh, this man got like swept the BAFTAs pretty much. Um, uh, the British American Film and Television Association Awards. Um, uh, this won best actor for Felipe Noret, best supporting actor for Salvatore Caschio. Uh by the way, apologies if I'm butchering all, butchering all these names. They're Italian and I'm not. Um, won Best Film Not in English, Best Film Score, and Best Original Screenplay. Um, and it was nominated for Cinematography, Costume Design, Direction, Editing, Makeup, Production Design. This is ranked number 27 in Empire's 100 Films of the World Cinema. Uh, this is tied for the. This was tied for the top pri- uh, prize the year it premiered, which was at Cannes F- Film Festival. Um Tied with another film that I've never heard of, so, um, but another I think Italian film. Um, also, I thought this was an interesting one. Um, the 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 uh, there's a quote in this movie that is featured in the lyrics of "Take the Time" by Dream Theater in 1992. Hmm. Um, so that was weird. Um, thought that was or I thought that was interesting. Um, this is uh, often credited with reviving the Italian film industry. Um, okay. So that's definitely, you know, fun, uh, fun to know. Um, and the director's cut, as aforementioned, um, most, including Robert e- Roger Ebert, maintain that the theatrical cut is better, but the director's cut is still a treat. Um, and one of the main reasons why the people think the theatrical cut is better is because it leaves some ambiguity. Um, there are things not answered in the theatrical cut that we're left to assume, much like the ending of A Quiet Place, where the director's cut um, fills in those gaps and look after after watching this movie I I think I will get around to the director's cut at some point but um, like just to see but uh, I I think I really like where the where the movie leaves things so um, oh yeah where's that stop that <laughs> <laughs> um, I look. I've heard about this movie for a while. I just really wasn't interested in foreign films um, for for a long time, um, unless they were going to be like The Raid, um, just because I'd rather watch a Hitchcock movie that is from old. If I was going to watch, if I was going to watch something that I would normally mm-hmm. not watch, um, but yeah, I've heard about this one for a while, and uh, I I was excited because this is such high praise. So, what about you? Um. Same thing, I think. I was just like, out of the long, long list of classic movies I haven't seen, it was one of them. And I said, I'll probably get around to it sometime. And I got around to it. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Um, All right. You like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Um, Can I ask you a question before we get into this? Sure. Which projectionist would you rather watch a movie about? Alfredo or Chet? (sighs) Probably Alfredo. What? That surprises me. Why does that surprise you? Because Chet is from your favorite movie. 
Yeah, but Chet's a perfect character for like a 10 minute sequence, right? Yeah. Like he's perfect for the little joke that he gives and that's it. But like. Where he says, Chet. But like there's a, there's a reason he's only in that movie for 10 minutes and Alfredo is in this movie for almost all of it. The whole thing, yeah. yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I will land in low side of love it. Okay. Um, I am probably like a pretty firm love this movie. Um, I, I think this is a magical experience. <laughs> uh, I, w- like, I was really... Coming into this movie, I was really afraid that this is going to be one of those that, oh, film fans love it because it's about film. Mm -hmm. And. (sighs) Kind of. (laughs) Look, sometimes, right? I think it elevates for people that love the cinema um, and people that know, like, I've never worked as a projectionist um, or really even think I could operate one, especially the the ones back in the (laughs) in the 30s and 40s. But um, I I think that's it's a. there's a lot of charm here, but like it's it's a lot of like the film going audience. And man, we were talking about how film going audience being terrible. I would hate to be in that crowd because getting spit con- on or poop thrown yeah, getting at your face. Spit on, getting poop thrown at your face, getting uh you know, just an incredibly loud ruckus audience for a movie that is you know, like Casablanca, like yeah. <laughs> I would just be annoyed if I can't hear. <laughs> so well, I will say that I've never seen myself represented on screen more than the guy who was like saying every line while crying. <laughs> it's me watching Lord of the Rings. But I would hate that guy because it's dead silent in the theater and, and everybody is bawling their eyes out. And this is guy that's saying the lines, not as they happen, but before they happen. <laughs> so you see, like in real life, I agree with you that I would hate being in that theater. Yes. But in the movie... It represents something. You it's know, delightful. It's, right. It's about the community. Like, it's the only thing that this group of people has to distract themselves from the fact that they're all poor, pretty much. Um, right. It's like when the when the theater first, or when the uh, pro- uh, projector, my goodness, when the projector first catches on fire, um, they say, what are we going to do for entertainment now? You know, like, it's the one thing where everyone comes together uh, and even though even though they're all like antagonistic towards each other and like throwing stuff at each other, putting bugs in each other's mouth and all that kind of stuff. Like they're together. It's what it's what uh it's the power of movies, you know? That's what it's trying to do pretty much. Yeah. Um whereas like Inglorious Bastards, the power of movies, it can change the world. Uh this is like empower of Mo- the power of movies, it can bring everyone together. Uh people yeah. who maybe wouldn't get along otherwise. Uh, and I I just love that. Yeah, I I really love. You could tell this is made by a movie lover, not just by the clips that are shown and the reactions, and even something like the importance of a kiss in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is <laughs> which is a fun sequence. Um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like uh, this. You could tell that this is made entirely by somebody who just loves movies and has a lot of love for growing up. Uh, in the cinema and uh gosh uh it, it, it so much of this movie is just delightful um probably gosh I, I think i just have so many good things to say about this movie i think i think maybe my only thing is this movie is all about this person's experience with the cinema 
until it's this person's experience with a girl. And I still love it, but it, it just feels kind of tonally two different movies. Um, so did, I was thinking the same that? thing. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing while I was watching it. Um, but I thought about it afterwards, and it's the point of all the kissing. <laughs> not to be, yeah. not, not to put it weird, it's like it inspires him from, like, it's not just that movies bring people together, like I was saying, but it's like the kissing inspires him. Um, what the movies are about, it's like grand gestures, people finally coming together at the end for the big kiss, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, Sure, it is a little bit like ridiculous, <clears throat> ridiculous waiting outside her house for a hundred straight, straight nights and then walking away on New Year's Eve as after she rejected you. Yeah, but uh, it's it's all about like the movies gave him the hope to do that sort of thing. Um, I think the next time I go back and watch it, I'll like that segment more as I'm watching it more than I did uh, this first time. Well, and it's, I feel like this this movie is really two parts. It's very clearly two parts because you have um, Tito. I know, I don't think it's Toto. his actual name. Toto, yeah. Is it's that his, his actual name? name is? It's just Fredo calls him that. Yeah, Alfredo is the projectionist. Yeah. Oh, come on. I knew it. What his name was. Well, keep anyway, talking and I'll find it. You have, you have Toto and. He he's a young boy, and then all of a sudden there's a time gap after the uh, a little shortly after the fire, um, and all of a sudden he's a teenage boy. So this is really like Toto loves film already when the movie begins, but this is really the foundations of him falling falling more in love with something as opposed to just a fascination really falling in love with movies, right? Um, and then you know contrast that with falling in love with a person. Um, so I guess, yeah, I guess maybe I'll walk back on, on some of that, but, uh, uh it, I don't know. It just, it's like, that's the only part that like, to me, I think it just kind of loses uh, a little bit of, I don't, it, it's for, for a movie that was so dedicated on love of movies. It just, it just, I wasn't expecting it. And maybe, maybe going back, I would, you know, it, it wouldn't, bu- and I, I don't think it bugs me. It's just like, this is the only minor complaint I have about this movie. So Salvatore. Is his name? I looked it up. Um, uh, right, like we were saying, it starts. It starts as his love of movies, and then, like Alfredo tells him, like it can't be just movies. You have to do something else. You have to do something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so he tries to take what he learned from his movies and make it into a real life happiness because as much as we love movies and we talk about it all the time, watch them all the time, think about them all the time. Like just watching movies isn't what's fulfilling to me, at least. Um, it's taking the lessons I learn and seeing how I apply them to my life. Um, it's like movies being a transformative thing because it, he goes on to make his own movies afterwards. Uh, yeah. He goes on to be a successful filmmaker. So it's not like he's not stuck in uh the town his whole life i don't remember the town's name uh it's why alfredo tells him you got to go away and you got to stay away whether or not that's right i i don't know i think that's something to think about um but he tells him that and he goes away and that's when he 
gets more out of his love for movies. Um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I land on the whole love story thing. Okay. It's like a transformative thing. Yeah. I feel like this is a fun movie to talk about, you know, and I I was looking on Letterboxd and you and I are the only people who have seen this. There's uh, several people that have it in their watch list and I'm sure several other people, you know, have seen it. They just either don't have Letterboxd or um, they haven't, haven't marked it because they haven't marked every movie that they've seen. But um, anyway, I just, Most of like, the people I follow on Letterboxd have seen it, actually. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. I, I pretty much all I follow is the Sif Pop writers. So I follow uh, anyone who follows me, so I follow like a hundred something people. They go go follow Robert on Letterboxd. You'll get a follow oh, yeah. back. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I just I thought it was weird, but it's like I I want to talk about this movie with other film lovers, like. You know, I, I want I want to to be able to experience uh, or to talk about experiences among among uh, yeah among what we've uh, what we've experienced because uh, I I'm really enjoying our conversation and the different perspectives you can bring from it. But at the same time, like it's it's just about you know a movie lover and uh, um we we've talked for a while about like all the things not a while we've talked about all the things that we love. But I'm curious. You said your low side loved it. So like, what's the what's the hangout? Um, probably even though I understand the meaning of all the love stuff, it, like you were saying, it takes me out just a bit. Um, because up till then I was like, this is one of the best movies ever. Um, and I still think probably is, uh, actually I'm going to walk that back. I don't like to make objective statements. This is one of like my favorite movies to watch. I'll say at this point a day after watching it. Um, (laughs) but uh yeah it was just like the love stuff and like the uncomfortableness of like not giving up on the girl is is like pressuring someone into loving you isn't always isn't it's like a it's like a classic movie thing but it's kind of real life frowned upon and uh i wasn't a big fan of that it was like if she doesn't like you she doesn't like you that's that's kind of where you should leave it, I think. Um, but that is the only reason it's low side of love and everything else is high side. Uh, okay. And I wanted to add the direction and the cinematography. So yes. the director is uh, Giuseppe Tornatore. Cinematographer is Blasco Girato. I'm sorry. My mom is Italian, born in Italy, <laughs> fluent in Italian. She will be very mad at me if she ever listens to this. Um but yeah, the visuals in it are striking. Um, you said it was made by a film lover for film lovers. Uh, since it's made by a film lover, he obviously understands film language and how to use everything within the frame, the mise-en-scene, oh my gosh, butchering everything today, um, to make yeah, to make a, a great movie. Um, and then, of course, pair that with the score from Ennio Morricone, and it's just... Like we like to do, it's Chef's Kiss. Yeah, yeah. I'm really surprised that this doesn't have more accolades. Um, like, I'm really surprised that it was only nominated for Best International Feature, uh, and even at the BAFTAs, like it didn't win the stuff. And I was looking at the the 2020 Oscar awards. Um, it well, does... wouldn't get nominated for a 2020 Oscar. <laughs> no the the 2020 awards where they take a look back 20 years prior at the 20 years prior i see what you mean (laughs) okay um they 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 had it winning uh or at least one of the people had it winning um 
best international feature um, and best score and best cinematography. And I was like, yeah, I don't know how this wasn't included. Uh, maybe it was the Oscar was a little bit more Hollywood minded, you know, because they have been traditionally in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was that, I don't know. Um, I just feel like, uh, there was something really special about the specifically the moment where they're doing movies out in the rain or out, out outdoors at the, for the summer. And then there, there's a, there's that shot and I've seen the shot before, um, but it's he like lays back and then the rain starts to fall. It's just yeah. everything about this movie is just beautiful. Um, and like in terms of 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 tone, themes, characters, uh, everything about this movie is just beautiful and and just delightful. Um, and and I think the cast is excellent too. Uh, Alfredo is the standout for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, but young Toto, I prefer the, over yeah. older Toto. I was gonna say that. Um, and, uh, but, but even the, the love interest, uh, Elena is, um, is really great in her, in her part. Um, I love the priest in this movie. <laughs> um, I think, I think he's playing that really well. Yeah. Uh, some of the uh, recurring townspeople are really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like the guy that keeps on spitting on people. Yeah. Um, like the and, owner, the guy who buys the theater or who rebuilds it. He's, right. he's great too. Yeah, and and you mentioned the guy that is saying all the lines before, like mm-hmm. that five second, or five. It's, like, it's probably a full minute, but like that's that's an incredible five minute. You know, well, I just threw a pen. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so I just uh, I think there's so much to love about this movie. It's uh it's going in my favorites of all time. As soon as we finish recording, um, I'm gonna put it right at thirty eight. Um, which would put it literally one spot above rope, um, wow. and one spot behind crazy, stupid love. Um, and, but that's not quite enough to Objectively make it my... but worse than crazy, stupid love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, it, but this is my favorite movie. It's not movies. I think are great. I know. So. I know. I know. Um, I wanted to so yeah. add it's 51 on IMDb and 57 on Letterboxd. So that's, oh, that's not that's high praise. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put this one at 39, um, and uh, and that makes it it beats out Seven Samurai um, for my favorite horror uh, international feature, but um, City of God is still at 17. So City of God is still my favorite foreign. But this is my second. Um, so uh, I I really really love this movie, and it's still just behind LA Confidential. So this is not quite going to be my new favorite goat. Um, new favorite film we've talked about on this, but yeah. um, I will say absolutely this is a go for assembling a Criterion collection. I am one hundred percent adding it. Yeah, I agree, and I will say I think the other reason I didn't make it love it or high slide is that uh, I heard so many people say the ending will make you cry, and mm. the ending didn't quite make me cry, and I do cry at movies sometimes, so. Maybe <laughs> my cat's at the door meowing. Um, <laughs> so either it's me or it just wasn't as good at, or there were too high of expectations. Either way, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. But yeah, sure. it's a goat. It's in there. It's a criterion. Yada, yada, all that great stuff. But not my favorite. It's not better than Arsenic and Old Lace. <laughs> well, and this is a movie that... Uh, um... It looks like relatively recently got a 4K re-release. I only own digitally. Um, I am for sure going to buy that 4K at some point. Um, yeah. Because the digital copy I have is, is is fine, but I'm sure it could be better. And 
How did it look on HBO Max? Uh, looked fine. Looked good. Okay. I don't know. My TV isn't great, and it's streaming, so. Sure. Yeah, I I, I want to pick up this 4K disc, um, but it's like 35 bucks, and it's like if I already have it digitally, it's a little less incentive to buy it. But mm-hmm. I want I want to see all the special features, the behind the scenes, the director's commentary, all that. I'm I'm here for it. But um, yeah, that'll do it. Any any other thoughts? You good? Is that double subtitles on the director commentary? <laughs> like, I mean, I imagine they would dub it, but <laughs> okay. Anyway. Or you just don't get the subtitles of the movie itself. Which, if you've only seen it once, you don't always right. know. Anyway, yeah, that's my last thoughts on the movie. Cool. Yeah. Um, on the next GOATS next month, we'll be talking about M and The Graduate. And we're making a change because of the accessibility of Rafifi. Um, so M and The Graduate. And Dexter will be joining us. Or at least that's the plan. Uh, and I, I, we both kind of already gave our, you said this is not going to top where, where does this fall in your goats we've talked about because this is number two for me uh give me one second i put it on there earlier but i don't remember exactly where so i got arsenic old lace miracle on 34th street rope singing in the rain good bad and the ugly cinema paradiso oh wow so six yeah it's gonna land at two for me um i think but 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 like i am more you know i'm really into like crime especially like period piece crime so yeah um, and you're into crime i get it yeah i like crime <laughs> hey there guys just uh, wanted to throw a quick note in there before we move on uh, and just to say uh, that due to our conflicting schedules uh, and due to the fact that we do this as a side project to our full-time jobs and due to my crohn's disease uh, i i scheduled to watch cinema paradiso uh, right before um, recording giving me just enough time um, to hop over and uh, you know, a little wiggle room but uh, due to my Crohn's disease, I had to um, take care of that for a little bit. And um, uh, that means I missed out on the last like 15, 20 minutes of Cinema Paradiso. So uh, the moment that I um, stopped to, to record um, was the moment where our main character, Toto, comes back from the war, um, back to his home village. And so I kind of thought that I just knew where the movie was going from here. You know, there's definitely some setups that... Um, uh, that show that he's going to become a filmmaker, right? We see him play with a camera a lot at the at the first little bit, and uh, um, I figured um, that uh, that he was going to move out and become a big success. And I wasn't really sure what was going to happen um, outside of that. But due to the uh, reading about the history with the movie, with the goats, the comparison versus the theatrical and the director's cut, um, I thought that um, I had a good idea where this was going um, because of just the cumulative everything. And so I felt comfortable talking about it in real time. But um, that last 15, 20 minutes really shook me uh, in a great way. Um, I didn't cry. Um, like Robert said, he also didn't cry. Um, but I definitely was moved. Um, I definitely felt uh, the the moment. I definitely felt uh, everything that uh, this movie is going for it, and it truly elevated this film to me. Um, so I'm just going to revise my previous uh, statement, saying again, the only thing that I'm not quite sure um, I, I consider a positive is the movie's uh, turn from being a um, love of movies to a love of a person, which maybe there's something thematic there, and on multiple rewatches, I'll be fascinated to see. But uh, I did change this to my favorite goat of all time and it did elevate it several spots um because i think i said it was initially going to be at 39 
which would have put it just behind Crazy Stupid Love, and I moved it up um, to 25 of all time for me, putting it right between Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Toy Story 3, with LA Confidential being on the other side of Toy Story 3. So it does just barely top my favorite GOATS list, and uh, I loved it so much. I decided to pick up the 4K release, and I'm very excited to watch it again. I'm excited to watch the director's cut. I'm excited to do all the special features, uh, and uh, I just wanted to throw that quick update. Um, and now I learned that I will never, never, ever do that again. So that'll do it for the GOATS segment, but we got the B-plot to do. Robert, we've we've done this t- sort of twice, kind of, uh, but we're going to do a, a new evolution of this. Um, so we did writer-director combos that you have to change the writer. And then we did writer-director combos. You have to change the director. This time it's a writer-director combo that you have to add a different writer-director. You have to change the writer-director to a different project. Um, I have, it looks like eight of these. Um, I, and fair warning, I just, I don't know how many of these I actually love, but I think might be interesting. So um, some of them I might just be like, yeah, I thought that might be cool. So. Yeah, so two or three. Oh my goodness, my chair. Two or three of mine are like, they might actually work. Then the others are just yeah, putting them together. And then I didn't follow what was possible. So there's like an old time director. Yeah, yeah same. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that there's, um, this was, this was the hardest to me because a lot of times when we think of writer directors, we think of the good people. Uh, and so what I did is I, I, I put out a list of a bunch of people that I saw. It's like, man, like so many of these are people I love and adore. And like, I legitimately thought about changing somebody to do a clockwork orange, but it's like, no, I wouldn't do that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's just difficult. Like, I think this person could do great at it, but it's like, would it actually be an improvement or would it do anything different? And the answer was no. So I, I took, I took it out. Um, so how many do you have? Five, six? Uh, I think seven, seven. Okay, well, I'll start and we'll go back and forth. Um, we'll start off with one that I think would just take a little silly out, um, and I'll do uh, Matthew Vaughn's Independence Day. So, so I've never seen Independence Day, but I have the Blu-ray. Okay, so this is a totally, totally serviceable 90s action movie. Um, it's just Emmerich, and there are some things that are just, you know, a little silly. And ha- taking somebody like Matthew Vaughn, X-Men First Class, The Kingsman, mm-hmm. like could could do the silly in, in a better, less cheesy, less cringy way. Um, sure. and, uh, and I think Vaughn also does great with directing. So uh, I'm going to go with the obligatory Ryan Johnson or Colin Trevorrow, Rise of Skywalker for yeah. reasons that don't need to be explained. But yeah, I just wanted I, to throw it in there. I decided to stay away from talking about um, any of the like Zack Snyder's Justice League or mm. Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. I decided not to because we're just beating a dead horse at this point. Um, dead horse needs to be beat. <laughs> this would be an interesting one. Um, I went with John Favreau's The Majestic from Frank Dar- from Frank Darabont. I've never um, heard of The Majestic. Okay, it's an early two thousands movie written directed by Frank Darabont about an old timey theater, and there's an amnesia story and stars Jim Carrey in the dramatic role. Mm. Um, I saw it when it came out and I remember really liking it, but I know some reviews kind of poo poo on it. Um, I'm really interested in revisiting this one, but I feel like, you know, I wanted to put John Favreau in here somewhere, but what is John Favreau good at? He's good at telling contained emotional stories. And when I just thought of 
you know, I, it, this is kind of an asterisk because I haven't seen the Majestic in a while, but like maybe somebody with a little bit more more Favreau touch would would elevate um, the Majestic. So we'll go with that. Nice. Um, I went with Stanley Kubrick's Paddington Two because I want. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? I told you these aren't what I. A lot of these aren't what I actually want to happen. I just want to see a different take. Um, <laughs> Paddington, he is inherently good, and I want to see what Kubrick would do with an inherently good character in his typically inherently messed up worlds. So, here we go. All right. All right, we're going with uh, maybe a little obvious. We're going to go with the Coen Brothers, The Gentleman from Guy Ritchie. Interesting. Uh, Guy Ritchie and the Coen Brothers both specialize in layered, complex, interwoven Mm. stories. Um, Tarantino also specializes in this. Um, I went with Guy Ritchie, uh, or I went with The Gentleman because I feel like this is Guy Ritchie's return to form, but I don't like it near as much as I do Lockstock or The Snatch, or, or Snatch, and uh Yo, I, after watching Burn After Reading uh, again, I would love to see the Coen brothers take a, take a Guy Ritchie script. Yeah, or take a I, Guy Ritchie plot. I was just uh, a couple hours ago talking to Shane about Inside Lewin Davis, so I got Coen brothers on the mind. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm down for it. Um, here's one that I'm actually slightly interested in. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Love Actually. Because... Um, have you seen Magnolia? No. Oh, well, it's my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie by Miles. Um, and what it does so well is weave about a dozen different uh, character arcs together, like people off in different places doing different things, but they're all related somehow, which is essentially what Love Actually is. Um, okay. But Love Actually is extremely problematic. <laughs> um, as heartwarming as it is and how well-intentioned as it is, it is just like extremely sexist, and I love Richard Curtis. Um, this is the only movie of his that I would want to take away from him. So I think PTA is do. He's about time. What else did he do? About time, Four Wings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Yesterday, Mamma Mia Two. Oh, I don't like Yesterday. Um, I haven't I, seen Mamma Mia Two. But it's like it's like the rom com type, um, sure. British rom coms. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to see PTA going at like the interconnected love angle would probably probably be darker but i'd like to see it okay um yeah so like again some of these are actual improvements some of these are not um this one would definitely be an improvement we're gonna go with shane black's cop out from kevin smith isn't it thinking the kevin smith yeah and here's why bruce willis tracy morgan cop movie you know leaning into comedy like should have especially 2006 should have worked and it didn't and I don't really know why it didn't, but that's a terrible movie. Um, and man, Kevin Smith has a really impressive filmography, but that is definitely a black spot. So why not take somebody like Shane Black, who is an expert at the buddy cop? Pun intended. You said black spot, Shane Black. Oh. <laughs> no pun intended. Apparently. Unintended. Yeah. Um, I'll go with something that was supposed to happen, and that's Martin Scorsese's Joker. Uh Again, there was just another one where I was trying to get extra ones. So, yeah, I didn't know. Todd I didn't Phillips is full of himself, and that's my 
that's my I didn't, reason. I didn't count Scorsese because he doesn't always write and direct. Okay. Uh, but I totally am okay with you because he, he does, he has written. Yeah. So, um, okay. Um, this next one I think um, would for sure be an improvement. And then the other ones I think are like, I really like this movie as it is, but I would like to see this take. So the last one I'll go that I definitely think would be an improvement. We're going to go with Taylor Sheridan's The Godfather Part 3. Uh, yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah, except it'd have I mean, to be like Western set. Well, but like he's done Wind River, which isn't Western set, and he's done Yellowstone. What? What? Yellowstone is Western. It's set. like, uh, in the middle of nowhere set. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. Um. So anyway, I just think who's who's good at crime stuff. Uh, Taylor Sheridan. What do I want him to do? Well, The Godfather Three. Like I, leg- I also legitimately thought about the conversation. Um, that would be I like interesting. That. Yeah, but. But how much more of an improvement, like the conversation is already, like we talked about, a, a good movie. Right. And The Godfather Part 3 is okay at best. So, yeah. Sheridan's The Godfather Part 3. Sure. Um, Wes Anderson's Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> I would like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite is already seemingly inspired by Wes Anderson. Uh, I'd just like to see it lean all the way into Wes anderson Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, okay, so again, these last three I really like, but I think could bring something different to the table and be new. I'm going to start with um, Darius Martyr, so Sound of Metal. Darius Martyr is A History of Violence from Cronenberg. Oh, I haven't seen that one, but I'm, I want to bad. Okay, it's good. And it's a lean, crisp 90 minutes, and it is, um, it is uh, suspenseful. Um, mm. uh, and, but so much of this movie is thematic. And uh, Darius Martyr with Sound of Metal made such an incredible movie. Uh, I think I would like to see if for some reason they decided to remake A, a History of Violence, I'd go with Darius Martyr. Cool. Um, I have one more silly one and one more real one. Which one do you want to hear? Let's say the silly. Silly first. Uh, Alex Garland's Lego movie. <laughs> because... Okay. It's somewhat serious. Because this was me just trying to be like, out of left field, but actually kind of would work. So if Alex Garland was to do like an animated movie, it would be this type of meta thing. Um, It probably wouldn't be as funny as it is like Lord and Miller have made, Um, Mm -hmm. but just watch Ex Machina and devs and see how much he deals with like the idea of God choice and like identity. And man, if like if if Ex Machina doesn't scream Lego movie, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be a very different movie. It would sure. be, but it would be similar thematically. Yeah, and and definitely would be a lot less fun. But okay, I mean, you said silly. I I'd see it, but I don't. I, I would see it, but that's not saying I'd prefer it. <laughs> so. I might. Okay. We'll see. Uh, well, I here we go. Movie. I, I want to save. I want to save my favorite one for last. Um, so we're gonna go with Emerald Fennel. So promising a woman, Emerald Fennel's American Beauty. And um, go ahead. Okay. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen American Beauty. Um, yeah. But again, I think I think I recall really liking this movie. But I I, I wanted a movie. I like Emerald Fennel's voice. I think she does a, a good job of uh of of bringing stuff into that light uh and uh or into into a light that isn't necessarily down your throat but is let's take something and tackle it 
And uh, I think American Beauty is prime for that. Yeah, because American Beauty is pretty down your throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, cool. My last one. Is that is that what your comment was going to be? Because you looked like you wanted to say something before I explained it. Well, I, all I was going to say is that people think both of these, like Promising Young Woman and American Beauty are very beat you over the head with their message. Um, I think I think Promising Young Woman can be, yes. Yeah. Um, but less so than American Beauty. I like them both. I'll, I'm, I really do like both the movies. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen American Beauty, so that's a caveat. Too. Yeah. Um, my last one, uh, this is a legit one, and it's Barry Jenkins uh, doing Crash, which was okay. the 2005 Best, winner, best Picture winner, um, written and directed by Paul Haggis, and it's about uh, racism and preconceived ideas about other people based on their appearance. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of it is about like black people, racism, <laughs> like racism towards black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think a white guy is the best person to do that. And <laughs> a good Wait, person, <laughs> a good filmmaker to tackle that sort of topic with like Moonlight and Beale Street. Sure. Um, and yeah, Moonlight and Beale Street and the upcoming uh, Lion King sequel is Barry Jenkins. I also have a racist racism uh, movie. Okay. I have a racist movie. Um, we're going, uh, first of all, um, I'd watch that. I haven't seen, I actually don't know. I've never seen Crash. And what did you say Barry Jenkins has done? Moonlight and Beale Street, if Beale Street could talk. Yeah, I've not seen either of those. But I've heard you haven't seen things. Moonlight. You have to watch Moonlight. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll get around to it at some point. <laughs> it's great. Um, okay. Uh, I, so I'm also going to the racist, racism themed one, and we're going with. It's gonna sound terrible. Um, Ryan Coogler's King Kong. Okay. Um, and again, I rem- I recall liking the Peter Jackson one, but I think uh, I think taking somebody like Coogler, who is uh, um, a very talented director, and giving him a property like this um, could really make it something beyond magnificent. So. Yeah. Uh, What's beyond yeah. magnificent? The nice guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I, like I think you know he's I, the the primary basis for this is Black Panther. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I've seen Fruitvale Station. I've seen Creed, um, and uh, um, what's the other one he did? Isn't that all he's done? Oh, I have no idea. Um, I think that's all I he's done. Thought thought he did more, um, but um, I I like Fruitvale Station. Um, I don't love it. Um, I like Black Panther. I don't love it. I love Creed. Um, and I think that he is really good at telling um, stories that feel experiential to him and interweaving themes and messages um, in a story that you maybe didn't expect that it would, um, so, or at least the way that he does them. Um, so uh, Ryan Coogler's King Kong is where I'll leave it. Oh, man, Ooh, I was on Shane's... A YouTube channel today, like I was talking about, mm-hmm. and the question he asked me at the end was, "What's a director in the infancy of their career, like with just a few movies, that you think has the brightest future?" Um, I wish I would have said Ryan Coogler now because he asked me on the spot. If I had been able to prepare, I definitely would have said that. But man, that's a perfect answer now that I think about it. Yeah, that would be a great answer. But I mean, like he's already an A-list director. Like, well, yeah, but he's only. I just looked. He's only done Fruitvale. Creed and Black Panther as a director. Oh, wow. So that's still the infancy and 
a lot of good stuff to come. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you answer the guy that did shit house? No, <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> uh, Cooper Rafe. Yeah. Cooper Rafe. Yeah. I, I thought that would have been your answer. But... I don't even remember who I think I said Damien Chazelle, uh, Martin McDonough. And I said, I said someone was the first person to come to mind, but I don't even remember who that was now. So <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Well, hey, it's time for the spinoff. Uh, so, Robert, what is that one thing in pop culture that you really want to tell everybody to either watch or to stay away from? Um, there's this movie. It's brand new. Um, just kidding. It's not brand new. I'm looking up when it came out. I should have. It came out in 1957. You and I talked about it before we started recording. Uh, Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. Um, it's excellent. It's uh, exactly the type of movie that I love. It's about uh, a guy, Max von Sydow, um, coming back from the Crusades and playing chess with death and coming to terms with his mortality and right and wrong and the people around him. Um, it was my intro to Ingmar Bergman after hearing lots and lots and lots of great things about him. And man, oh man, did he live up to his reputation with this movie. Um, it rivals movies like Silence or Last Temptation of Christ as some of the best spiritually based movies I've ever seen. Um, nice. So yeah, loved it. Watch it. It's only an hour I, and a half. Uh, you, I've got to put it on my list now. That's how this works. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've sold me. I'm for sure going to watch this. Um, great. Uh, I'm going to talk about a movie I know you've already seen. I'm going to talk about The Mitchells vs. the Machines. I love this movie. It's so good. Uh, I I know I'm not on an island saying this. I know everybody is shouting this movie's praises from the rooftops. And let me just tell you, they're 100% justified. Mm -hmm. Um, This is The animation is incredible. Uh, The creativity in animation, I mean, of course, produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Like, you know, this is what you're going to get. Like, I thought it was really creative. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I thought it had a lot of really fun moments, especially the the young character Aaron was just every single moment he has is the funniest. And my favorite moment from the whole movie is when he's going, "Hi, would you like to talk about dinosaurs with me?" <laughs> no, okay. And he hangs up and he crosses a name off the phone book and he goes to the next one. It's the, it's the, it's the funniest thing. Um, so and then of course they go to a dinosaur theme park and he's constantly got this little like dinosaur like thing that he holds the whole time. I think he's got a rideable dinosaur in the back of the car. Anyway, like I just I love everything about this movie. Um there's also a ton of like they're not subtle at all, but there's a ton of movie references because yeah. the main character is going to film school. So she'll mention Dawn of the Dead or um just other different movies and she'll just say the title. It's like, "Oh, okay. Yeah. Her socks like, are the shining carpet." Yeah. 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 Um, so like, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of interesting, again, not, not like it, subtle, like in your face movie stuff. That's just fun. If you like movies, which if you listen to this podcast, you probably do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and also like, I think this movie deals with some, some themes. Well, the, the whole like screens taking over our relationships is definitely too much. Um, it's my only negative about this movie. It just felt way too in your face, but which is impressive well, it was because nuanced. <laughs> right? <laughs> I thought it was nuanced. It was more than just like screens are taking over. <laughs> um, no, I felt like the whole thing was in your face. Okay. So, um, like it just everything. And, 
which is interesting because there's so much other things about this movie that are just subtle and are are perfect the way they are. Like the the character is meeting new friends at college. He's about to meet new friends at college. She hangs out with virtually. And, you know, you, you get her sense of wanting to do that. And then in the credits, there's like, a, oh, are you bringing your friend home for dinner? And it's a, it's a female friend, like for Thanksgiving. And so like casual, subtle, like not even mentioning it, like, you know, really liked what this uh, really liked that about this movie. It wasn't, hey, our main character, the lesbian that's in your face or bisexual or whatever she might happen to identify as. And, this, and we're not going to be in your face about it. And like, mm-hmm. great. Awesome. I like that representation without you know, cramming it in my face and being uncomfortable about it, right? Like, so. Yeah. Um, and what was the recurring gag of, what did they think the dog was? They couldn't tell if it was a dog or something else. <laughs> oh, uh, the, the the robots couldn't tell if it was a dog or a pig or, a or, pig. or, or, or I think another animal. But yeah, dog, that dog pig, is dog, hilarious. Dog. <laughs> I love every time the dog is on the screen. Um, Munchie, is, Munchie is an all-time favorite cartoon dog for me. So. Um, I know you've seen it. Everybody I know loves this movie. Uh, and I'm saying I, I am part of that group. Nice. So, but, but it's interesting for a movie that is this good. It would still be my third pick for the best Oscar last year, since this was supposed to come out last year, be mm-hmm. award contender. Like just, I still prefer soul or wolf walkers, but, but like that's, that's not a, it's not, <laughs> it's a not, not a diss, yeah. Right. So, Hey, we did it. Awesome. Uh, a quick reminder, this is Pop Riders Room is part of Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast feed. If you're interested in writing for Super Pop, you can contact either of us. Uh, send us a question to explore during the B-plot. Uh, you can email us at ridersroomatsifpop.com or DM the Sif Pop Twitter account or DM me. I'm at Schweitcastle on Twitter. Go ahead and uh, I'm going to do two letterbox plugs here. Number one is you can follow my letterbox where you catch up on all my stuff, including which order I have our goats at as a public list um, at Schweitcastle. Um, and uh, you can follow Sif Pop's letterbox now that will have every um, article that we post will somehow be incorporated into Letterboxd. Um, so if you aren't a Twitter user, but you want to keep up with what we're doing and you don't want to refresh the page every day, um, Letterboxd is a good place that you can uh, keep up on all the stuff that we're doing. Uh, but Robert, that's all the ways that people connect with uh, the show and the site and all that. Uh, what about you? Uh, follow me on Twitter at underscore Rob Thoughts and go to my website, roberts-thoughts.com. Whoop, whoop. Awesome. Hey, Robert, it's been great having you on, um, as always. So I uh, really appreciate on. your time. And uh, we'll, we'll, I think we'll just have to do it in a month again, right? Uh, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you then. <laughs>